Bienvenue, Kanichiwa. It's time for the Amish Inquisition yet again. Episode 148 on Sunday, the 6th of September. It's your sweet Amish Phil. Kaisa Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this week's guest is um, an author and a podcast host. Uh, he's called Andrew Shatkin. Uh, you can go to shatkinshow.com for more information. The links will be in the show notes. As usual, and it's S C H A T K I K I N. Anyway, it'll be in the episode title, so just look at that and put it in Google. Anyway, welcome to the show, Andrew. Uh, well, this is the thing. I'm a person who likes to dialogue with people. Yeah. That is to say, Phil. Uh, I like to hear out a person's opinions and views. I do respond to it. And I'd I'd like to suggest some things that I might want to address with you. Right. Go ahead. Uh, One of them is I suggested previously, you may not agree with this, uh, but I think a lot of people do see a problem in our educational system Mm. in the United States. I think it's bad. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) I mean, let me give you an example what I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not an arrogant person. I mean, there's there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of things in this world, you know. Yeah. And there's people with with no books, don't can't read, who probably doing things that I could never do, such as uh, playing uh, baseball and making twenty million dollars a year. Yeah. So you know, I'm not going to say I have all the answers in this respect. But let me give you some examples of what I mean. Uh, uh, three examples. Uh, of what I consider essential basic knowledge that people don't have anymore. One of them had a person that I worked with with an advanced degree, a law degree. I have a law degree. And this person never heard of John Milton. Now, I'm not saying you have to read it, you know. It's a leading English poet, I think, you know, for many people. He would be seen as an essential historical figure. But this person never heard of him. This person now had a college degree, but had an advanced academic degree. Of course, that goes to show you. Let me, let me say this to you guys. I don't think degrees make people um, particularly have greater intellect than people who don't have them. I don't think so. No. What do you think? I think it's just sort of a representation of a level of education, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, but it doesn't make the person's intellectual ability no. greater than a person who doesn't have that education. Great. I don't mm. think so. I don't think so. No, it's and it's I like a standardized. Very good examples of people in the look in past times. Let's get let's get the book straight. People didn't go to school at all. <laughs> I don't think so. They and particularly in America, I mean, uh, like Abraham Lincoln, he he shot out fourth grade. I've looked at his writings. They're fantastic. 
<laughs> I mean, this guy was a very bright guy, and yet he was able to produce this work having gone to fourth grade. Do you have an explanation for that? Well, uh, I mean, literally. experience, lit- isn't it? Mm. You know, he's been, he's a, well, he, like all of us, are a product of our environment. So th- there is value, I think, to a, to a, um, a robust education, but there is also a hell of a lot of lived experience that that education doesn't teach you directly. School, college doesn't really go that into that level of detail that a, a lived experience gives a person. So, what do you think that you? I think my impression. I didn't live then. I mean, I've only had a limited lifespan and I have limited experience and knowledge, but. I mean, it seems like at that time when I'm talking about Lincoln, I also have the a book, The Lincoln-Douglas Debates. Uh, these people did not go to school, as we would understand it. They may have completed third or fourth grade, maybe. Uh, maybe they learned to read at home or something, I don't know. And yet those debates revealed to me extremely advanced literate people. And yet in today's world, I hate to say it, but that kind of thinking is not really around on the media. When you hear people speaking, you don't hear them speaking with detailed thought. Do you hear, do you hear much thought? It depends where you look. I think one of the advantages that we have today through mediums like podcasts and YouTube mm-hmm. is that if you're willing to look for it, you can find lots of very good information. You can listen to people who speak inc- incredibly eloquently again about any subject that you would care to look into. So I think we do have that advantage now. It's just that you seem to be insinuating that the, the education system as it stands... Well, the uh, issue is, number one, is, it, is, is going to college necessary? Does it really accomplish what people want to happen when they go there? Uh, I'm not sure it's it's needed. I think that people can do a lot of things very effectively without going to college. Mm. So um, would you replace college with something else? I don't know. It's hard to say. First of all, there's so many issues in, in American society. So American society is about money and commerce. That is what drives people. That's our value system. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 And so college is money. It is professors earning money. It is uh, all sorts of people in those institutions earning money. It is getting money from people to pay to go there. Maybe that's what's really going on rather than the object may not be learning, but it may be uh, getting money, no? Yeah. So you would, would you advocate more of a sort of learning on the job basis? For- I'm not sure. I don't think for most jobs, college is necessary. No, I don't think so. No. The way I see it is that getting a, a college degree, it shows that you're able to learn at a certain level, a level that's higher than the high school. And then that, therefore, is a way of streaming kids into the more specialised, maybe more mentally demanding jobs. 
such as, you know, I don't know, doctors or lawyers, <laughs> that sort mm. of thing. Well, you know, you th- I think you're right that education, college, college, education beyond high school probably improves people, their functioning. I think you're right about that one. Yeah. Whether it's good value for money is a completely different question, isn't it? And certainly, is. certainly in your country, I think it's pretty out of control as far as the fees and the, the debt that students have to undergo. Are you in the UK? Yeah. So let me ask yeah. you this. Uh, how does education work in the UK? In the United States, we have a very large private sector uh, concerned with education. And as I said to you guys, in the United States, college, uh, I believe that the, those colleges are uh, businesses. At least they are in the United States. They are oh, yeah, here now it, as well. What? Yeah, recently, well, I say recently, probably like the turn of the century um, or just before the turn of the century, and they were changed from public institutions. I think most of them now are, are public limited companies, basically. Um, so they're not allowed to make a profit, I don't think. Um, In your charge, country, it's not, it's not a profit system? No, they can't make a profit. They can't make a profit, I think, if, I, if I'm correct. But um, they charge for fees and um, you have to take on debt, basically, to get yourself through um, university-level qualifications. Um, and we're talking... It, it, I think it's about, I think from memory, it's about nine and a half thousand pound a year for so three you, years. So you're enlightening me. I'm very interested. In the UK, the the higher education is not that money connected. Um, I think it's more so, isn't it? It's certainly more yeah. so than it used to be. The thing yeah. is, if oh, you, sorry. sorry, if you go back like 50 years, um, it was quite a limited number of, there was more limited number of university placements. We call them universities mm-hmm. rather than colleges. But right. particularly yeah. particularly under Tony Blair, around the turn of the millennium, there was a big push. Um, the Labour government wanted 50% of students to go to universities. And I would say since that period, we've seen an expansion in university placements and then that justifies the universities having to increase the money that they need. And then we, and it used to be free 50 years ago. You, you were paying nothing. It was, it was yeah, free. It was yeah. free. Yeah. So it was free. Very few, so a, a, a much smaller percentage of students went on to university. It might be mm. 10% at a guess 50 years ago, but it was free. Whereas today um, you, you essentially it's like a graduate tax system. You borrow the money and then you pay once you earn a, over a certain income threshold, you start paying back your debt. So, in your country, in your system, that was fifty years ago. It was ten percent that went to university. I'm interested in this. Uh, so, your vocational system, it worked all right. I mean, people those ninety percent that did not go to university obtained employment, correct? Yeah. In the main. But let me ask you this. Do you think the... I, I have not lived in the UK. I don't have enough knowledge to make too much of a comment. 
But do you believe the former system was a elite system where only certain people who went to certain maybe public schools got into universities? I think the whole the whole thing started as a, an elite system. I mean, back in the very very early days, you would only have uh, these elite colleges and universities: Oxford, Cambridge, and they, they spread out to the red brick red brick institutions. And then, as we go through the forties, fifties, sixties, you end up with um, polytechnic institutions, new builds, and they're, they're all now under the university umbrella. Um, as part of what Phil was saying, this kind of education for all and trying to get as many people as possible into these buildings we call universities to do these these degrees. Um, and that's uh-huh. kind of where we are today. It's- well, do you think that former system, which worked, which um, unlike the system in the United States where has developed into a system where everybody is is fun is goes to a university it's, it's universal education you know that's our system our system in the united states is a very eager i don't know if you've lived here probably your country is less so it's a very egalitarian system mm. namely we take i'm not sure it's true but we take the position that everybody is equal intellectually mm-hmm I think that's true in the United States, isn't it? Isn't that? Don't you have the impression that's how our 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 our, our ethos egalitarian? Don't you think? Um, I, again, we we don't know too much about the American education system. We're hoping you can enlighten us as well um, today, but. Are you saying that there is a place available for every student in a university? Well, let me put this way. The entire culture in the United States, and I'm not sure it's it's valid. Let me put it that way, guys. I'm not sure it's true. It is very much focused on equality in the United States. I'm not sure that is a valid valid, um, setup. I think that we have, I think there's political equality where people have the, an equal vote. Right. That is, that is the, that is equality. That is the equality. I think that that's, that's valid. That's, that's, that's intact. But I don't think that everybody is equal. No. Um, I'm not equal. You have equal to a lot of people. You have equality under the law as well. Don't you? Right. I'm not equal to Albert Einstein. I'm not equal to a lot of people. No. <laughs> so the idea of everybody being equal, what do, what do you think of that idea? It's a nice idea. Yeah, it, it is a nice idea. And, it, you know, like like Phil says, as long as you have equality under the law, I think that's probably uh, the main thing. But in reality, yeah. And I'm not as clever as, you know, other people and some people aren't as clever as me yeah (laughs) i meant phil was cleverer than me you were stupid than me ben yeah that's right but do you think are you i don't have a problem with recognizing that i am not equal to many many people in the world and not equal to a a leading research for science in, in oxford maybe or i'm not equal to a lot of people that's where happiness yeah. lies, Andrew. 
<laughs> I think once you realise, uh, you know, your your place and you become comfortable in that, you, and you yeah. stop stop striving for the unattainable, you, you become a lot happier. I think. Well, so um, what have you been to the United States? Very briefly. Yeah. Yeah, so you didn't get a sense of how things work here in terms of this, I, what I just mentioned. Hmm. It's, we have a very egalitarian, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. For, for example, is the culture in the UK, is it more have a tradition of a elite, elitist culture? More so than perhaps the United States. It depends um, who you ask. Hmm. I think in political circles you could maybe make that argument. Yeah. Um, so we, we class, have class. Like, you would say, wouldn't you? It's like a, definitely a hangover from the class system. I would say. Right. Do you think most people? Do you think that there are more um, fixed classes uh, in the UK than 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 the United States? For example, I mean, mm. you obviously, if you any first of all, even in the United States, if you're born into a wealthy family you mm. have greater chances yeah uh, the, it's going to be easier for you yeah the you, same applies everywhere I think it does mm. really yeah what do say. you think of that the, do you think that's fair yeah yeah definitely I would agree you know you I think you probably have more opportunity don't you um you know there's more options available to you if there's money you know? There are more options. In internships would be a good an example of that, wouldn't it? Mm. So but won't you, if you have more money, or isn't that going to pave the way for you getting into the kind of educational institution that will lead you to better jobs and and better and a better future? I mean, I money is going to immensely help you. I think if you have enough money to be able to be buying scholarships and influencing your your uh, education in that way, you potentially don't need that education to get into the elite job specialism that, that you want to do. It becomes almost irrelevant. You could, you could hop, skip and jump over your, your entire education, really, and, and just land as a CEO of some subsidiary of, of daddy's business empire. <laughs> well, uh, in the United States, and I'm not sure it's, it may be true everywhere, really. I'm sure it is that our political leaders are all, every one of them are extremely wealthy. Right. Uh, they are. So oh. that's how you get there. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's the entree, no? Well, it seems to be, isn't it, that I don't know if this is true of Trump, but is it not? I've heard that uh, whoever has the biggest budget for marketing normally wins the race to be president. Well, I think I think in the United States, I'm, I'm not sure how it works in your country or other countries. Mm. I think the money is the entree to political <laughs> leadership and political positions. Hmm. You come from those circles and you, that's, that's how you get in. Hmm. And that's how you get those positions. And I believe that's true. And I don't, I don't think, despite that we all like to think that we can get anything we want 
you know, in, in American society or other side, but it's not true. It's, it's, you, not. They, they, it's not. I mean, if you, unless you have a lot of money, you are not getting into political office, period. Is that something to do with how the, the main two parties are organized and how the mechanics of the parties work? I think that it, I think that party parties are are first of all to run a political campaign is very very expensive. Even at a small level, is it small, like a state it's very level? Expensive. You have to advertise. You have to have money to get into the media, uh, and so unless you have those funds, you are not running for office. Right. Now, maybe in the past, maybe you didn't need that much money. I don't know. You just had to have a good idea. I think so. Also, there wasn't this thing with the media. I don't know when it started exactly, Phil. This stranglehold of the media in our mutual cultures. But uh, I think there was a time when things didn't work that way. There was no radio. Before radio, okay? Yeah. That was before before TV, radio, and computers, I think that um, it was it was hugely different. I think a lot of people were able to get into positions and jobs without funds, without a lot of money. Going back to the time before the mass media, was it not just a case that it was maybe the press barons who who pulled the strings and and did? In a sense, it was pr- the the uh, the the media at that time. And that society that we, I didn't live then, but I'm absolutely convinced it was based on print. Yeah. It was based on newspapers. It was based on, on, on short stories. It was based on all kinds of things like that. And um, that's how uh, knowledge was disseminated. Uh, that's how things worked. I think people read more in the past. Because they had no choice. Yeah, they had to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless, and um, maybe that's why people read less now, because they have other options. Yeah, and it's um, a lot of the things that have replaced reading. I would describe as maybe passive activities. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, Whereas images, re- images like TV images and cinema. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It is passive. They don't require a great deal of effort. And reading, especially reading something difficult, can be mind-bending. It can, can give well, you a that's headache. that's the issue in today's world. I, I think you're hitting, hitting the point, Phil, that uh, <clears throat> uh, when people don't read, first of all, people don't read that much in the United States. I can't say what it's like in the UK, but not all that much. And I think the reason is, one reason is the attention span has lessened to extremely limited attention span because of social media and because of other forces forcing themselves on people, on their minds, on their sight. These images, which you just described, the result is that I don't think that people, it's not that they can't read, is that their attention span is so limited because of our culture. And then they can't do it. Yeah, the other thing is that reading, sometimes reading requires a lot of investment, doesn't it, in time for the payoff. Yes. Uh, it's not like watching a 30-minute Simpsons episode 
Yeah, that's you right. Know, you can read a you book for thirty minutes. You can and... learn anything from watching those those passive images. I learned everything I know from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can. There's documentaries, isn't there, where you can learn something? You can glean some information from. But when you look at an image, is your mind exactly working in relation to that image? What do you think? I don't think so. I think I think it you is, can tune yeah. in. First of all, you can tune in and tune out with mm-hmm. television image. You can you can go and get something to eat. You can look at it or tune out of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, though, Andy, I've uh, I've found myself tuning out of a book and having to go back and reread the mm-hmm. you know three or four pages previously. I don't know if that's uh, an indictment on my own <laughs> attention. Well, spot. let me ask you this. Uh, uh, because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect, and it has occurred to me. Sometimes I read those older books, uh, Crime and Punishment or, or Moby Dick, whatever they might be, and I have sort of figured out that much more was demanded of the reader in those books than in our present society. Question is, was there fewer people, was there a more elite reading public in past times, maybe. Or do you think they simply had more time or something? Depends how far back you go. I mean, I mean, if you go back far enough, literacy rates were pretty terrible in our countries, weren't they? Mm. They were. Um, that's something we do have, sort of the modern universal education system to thank, that at least, you know, the, you would hope that literacy rates should be close to 100%. They're not 100%, sadly, because people slip through the when, cracks. When you talk about literacy, what are you really talking about? Reading a newspaper headline? Just reading Reading a menu? Having the ability. Writing. Having the yeah. ability to read and write. But how far does it has it developed that a person can... This, this literacy, which we have... Which you just described it. I think a lot of people in past times... You're right. I think they were illiterate. Yeah, I think they were. Uh, but I just want to say this, that um, the literacy today is of a very basic kind. It's reading, as I say, it's reading a menu. <laughs> it is uh, reading a headline on a newspaper. Isn't that really what most people, what our literacy has really come to? I'd agree. Mm. Yeah, in the main, I think people read a lot less because, like you said, there's so much competition mm. for our attention, isn't there? Which didn't exist 50 years ago. Mm. And I think the schools could do more, maybe, to try and... But you see, I remember when I was at school, I used to hate reading. Mm. And, uh, you know, through my teens, my t- my 20s, I never mm. really read much. It was only when I probably got into my late 20s Mm-hmm. that I rediscovered reading and found a passion for it. Well, uh, let me just want to get your sense, tap your mind on this. Uh, the books that I just referred to, which I think are, more, are significantly more complex than our present society projects to people. You agree with that, those books, those older books? Crime and Punishment, yeah. <laughs> Crime definitely. and Punishment or, or Moby <laughs> Do, whatever you might name. I just gave two examples. I mean... They were more. They, um, they were more demanding on people's thinking than today. As in the the author of 
authorship of the book. So if we compare like Dostoevsky with um, that's what I mean, E. L. James or someone, that's <laughs> some modern. Yeah, well, that's the issue. What, what is going on? Did those people were they smarter? Was it a more elite reading public? Were, were there more, less uh, illiterate people and a, and a small number of people that read it all? What there must think? have been a smaller number. There must have been. The, the yeah. books weren't available for everyone in, in ye olde days, purely because, like you say, not everyone could read, and, and the books were written by these, these handful of, I, I guess you could say, literary elites who were, who were able to write and, and used it to almost show off, I guess, and that, that shines through in making those comparisons between, you know, Dostoevsky and, um, and some of the modern tripe that's available. <laughs> I well, know in other words, you think that are awful. But. The society there was a limited number of people that were able to read. Yeah, so you had a, a smaller consumer base than today. But were they? Were these books? Those books I just described to you. Our 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 culture in the United States, and maybe it's true in the UK, books are produced by people who want to make money with them. Hmm. But at that time, do you think that was true, Dan? Were those kind of books uh, I described? Was it a money issue? No. Not by the sounds of it, no. You don't think so? Um, to a lesser degree. Uh, yeah. It depends, doesn't it, on the, the individual circumstances of the author. You know, there's plenty of uh, uh, aristocrats in, in old England, weren't they, that were bankrupt and uh, <laughs> need to make a few extra pennies or whatever. But, um, yeah. So you don't think the books I described were money makers? Well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to I, say what the what the sales were at the time, but subsequently, they're obviously they've probably made a lot of money, haven't they? I think at the time, probably not. They were, these would have been manuscripts, I guess, passed around between these people who were within this this literary literary mm-hmm. elite circle, right? Um, and maybe not even sold at all until until perhaps decades, maybe centuries later in some cases. So you think I'm just I'm just trying to figure this thing out of what was going on. It's very hard to reconstruct the past I haven't lived in. You know, very difficult. <laughs> it's true, but uh, I think you're right that um, people who wrote these books, it was not a financial enterprise. I don't think so. It was more of um, an, a form of expression, maybe more of an art. Hmm. Well, was the culture? Yeah, look, art was. I, big. I think the issue is this is something that fascinates me. Was the culture, say, in the nineteenth century? It, right now, the culture in the West, in the Western world is 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 capitalism. That is the culture in the United States. I don't know about the UK. You live in a capitalist country? Yeah. Yeah. You do? Yeah. With a bit of socialism thrown in, a bit of mild socialism. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, that do you, let me put this to you guys. This is an issue that I think is very significant to me. Uh, isn't socialism as an idea a fairly good idea? It equalizes wealth, it provides jobs for people, it provides <coughs> health care. 
don't you think as a, I'm not saying it works that well, <laughs> but as an idea, it's a pretty good idea. It is, yeah. It doesn't On work. paper. Yeah. <laughs> On paper. It's, don't you think it's, it's a pretty good idea? Yeah. 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 In theory. On paper. <laughs> On paper, yeah. Uh, but you don't think on a practical level that it's very good. No, it doesn't fit human nature. This but I still, well. say, I still say, I, I started reading the writings. Of, I, the other day I've been spending some time reading the writings of Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. He's really, he's a very smart guy, really. <laughs> Actually, I love he his was. comedy. <laughs> I love his comedy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but I think that, I mean, communism arose as a option uh, because it was felt, and a lot of people followed Marx, a lot. Mm. In the 19th century, quite a few people. He had quite a following, didn't he? Uh, Yeah, I think he came to our town, didn't he? Is that that, a a Mandela effect? Uh, Preston is where we live. He came to your place? He did, apparently, yeah. Well, I'm just saying that I saw about socialism and communism. To me, it's it addressed a problem in capitalism because capitalism is based on greed. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You, Wealth you accumulation. Think that's good? You think that's good? Uh, I, I think, think it's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. That was a joke, by the way. I'm sorry I didn't catch it about person to person. But uh, no, I just, I just think that these people... I the you were Michael Douglas. <laughs> I just think socialists and communists, I think they came up with a fairly good idea. Right. Yeah. On paper. Um, just on paper, you don't think it, a communist... For example, you don't think that communism is a very good system? I don't know. Um, no, 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 I don't think no, you, it's disproven, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I but don't know is what capitalism a system which creates class demarcations, which is based on greed and aggressive, aggressive, aggressive acquisition of money, and where everything is based on money? Do you think that's good? That's a terrible idea on paper. It seems to work <laughs> it works in Western better. society. You think it works? The point is you, you have to have limitations, don't you? Yeah, it has to be monitored. This is why we have a left and a right wing of politics. Right. Because if anything goes too far one way or the other... That's it, right. It, it, That's a very good point. It, you know? it, it tends to lead to, to bad things. You need things. both. I think you're right, Phil. You need both yeah each, and right. each wing has to keep the other side in check mm. like an airplane. which is what happened in the united states there was a right reaction to it was felt that the left had gotten a little too <laughs> little out of hand that's why trump was elected you know mm. whether mm. you like him or not and i'm not asking you to like him you politics is 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 personal mm-hmm. it's mm. feelings largely feelings yeah i don't think it's rational exactly you know, no. <laughs> it's usually comes from your family, don't you think? It comes from your family, yeah, quite your a lot. Environment or something, yeah. Lived experience. Mm-hmm. The class system plays into politics in our country as well, mm-hmm. right? To a lot, probably to a larger de- degree than the U.S. Is mm-hmm. the Labour Party? Let me get this straight because I know I'm asked a lot of questions, but I'm interested because you're from another society. And you can inform me. 
Yeah. Is the Labour Party in, in, in UK a truly socialist party? No. It, it, it was for a little bit, um, quite recently. Um, have, you, have you heard of Jeremy Corbyn? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he was the leader recently and he tried to make it a little bit more, well, quite a socialist party. Um, but prior to that, it was rebranded by Tony Blair, his new Labour in like the late 90, mid to late 90s. Um, and it got a little bit more towards the centre, really. Mm. Yeah. Tony Blair was not a socialist? Um, well, he kind of, he spent more on, you know, like the health system, education, things like that. Um, but I wouldn't call him a socialist, probably. Had socialist leanings, maybe, I guess, uh, most. Do you believe that um, the... I, I read a book about an Anglican bishop, uh, and this man, um, I don't remember the name of the person, I don't remember his name at this point. He was president, he was a leading sort of, one of the leaders in his time in the early 20th century. Uh, he, he espoused the position, as did many people at that time, for um, the idea that... Uh, What's the word uh, that he espoused? Um, the idea of, um, of creating, uh, getting rid of people that were defective or disabled or retarded. Uh, eugenics. Eugenics. That was the term. Eugenics, yeah, geez. It was very popular wow. among many circles. Mm. Uh, the in, early 30s. I mean, hmm? In the early 30s. Yeah. Of course, um, it got discredited because of Hitler's uh, actions. Mm. But uh, for a time, it had a lot of followers. I take it you're not a proponent of eugenics, Andrew? No, I'm not. What's, what's your... I don't believe in getting rid of people that I see as inessential or stupid or, or disabled or retarded. No, I'm not. You... I think it's terrible. Yeah, you see the value in, the value in the individual over anything yeah, else. Yeah, but I mean, after all, I mean, it's a terrible thing to espouse mm. that you want to get rid of people that you think are stupid or retarded or, or disabled or whatever reasons. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think Hitler uh, pushed the envelope in this respect. Right. Yeah, uh, Hitler. Uh, there was a lot going on with Hitler, weren't there? <laughs> well, he was a racist. It's, yeah, I, I read a little bit about Hitler. He was a racist. Yeah, he was, yeah. and that was the whole, whole issue. And I think he was eugenics person. Don't you think he was essentially? It's part of the yeah uh, the the idea, the whole behind it, wasn't it? The people, a lot of people who got sent to concentration camps were disabled people as well. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of people. Mm. People that he felt the society, he wanted to purify mm. the society and having only good... The idea of eugenics, I think, I don't agree with it. It's terrible. No. He played a yeah. lot of um, sort of German folk tales mm. and sort of folk mythology and, and used that to try and... Like the Aryan race. Bring around, think. yeah, the, and use that as his justification. And, and then you had things like the Hitler Youth, you know. Yes, he did. Well, he wanted to create the idea, and this was eugenics, a eugenics position that he espoused. I don't know whether he did it exactly publicly as a eugenics person, but the net result was he wanted to 
purify, only wanted pure. The idea of eugenic was having good stock mm-hmm. in the society. That's the idea of eugenics, right? Yeah. Yeah. And getting rid of poor people, not having them on the increase. Uh, that was one of the groups they wanted to get rid of, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's still going on today? I think there are, uh, thank God, it's lost a lot of ground. Uh, as I say, thank God, because it's a terrible idea to kind of want to get rid of people that you think are not a benefit to society. Uh, I think it's awful, to tell you the truth. And it's my personal opinion. You know. I agree. I think we all yeah. agree, don't we? Yeah. We do. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, but uh, do I think it's going on today? It's hard to say. Uh, maybe uh, it's, it's very hard to say. I'm sure there are people who go along with this today. I'm sure there are. I think what if, do you think uh, about the designer, designer babies and gene editing them in terms of... I, know, I know about it. Why don't you tell me about it? <laughs> what so, is it? Well, I guess uh, there's a there's a push to look at science to prevent <clears throat> the uh, to prevent the birth, perhaps of a, a child who would be severely life limited, um, with a oh, I with see. A kind of view to avoiding that pain and suffering. But it isn't that by its very nature? It is eugenics, yes. Yeah. and also some people say. And I don't want to get into a religious discussion uh, on this issue, but many, many pro-life people who are against abortion, they do, and it may be so, that abortion has its roots in eugenics. Uh, many, many abortions are performed on kids with Down syndrome or retarded. The issue that you have, you and I have to face on those positions is, are we going to devalue people on that basis and to that extent. I'm not prepared to do it. I'm not prepared to say because a person's retired to do something that they're worthless. No. I don't agree. I, I ran across a lot of a lot of mentally disabled people. They're wonderful people. They're very nice people. I, I don't want to see a situation in a society which endorses, frankly, getting rid of them. Well, I, I agree with you on that, Andrew. We have a, a system over here where we have a, a screening during pregnancy, don't we? <laughs> Where, mm. yeah, you, where you screen the, is it the 12-week scan or the, tw- I think it's the 20-week scan, maybe. Mm. Uh, what is the know. screening? Tell me about it. You know, where they do the, it's not an oscilloscope, what is it, the uh, ultrasound? They take a sample of amniotic fluid uh, and screen um, for, for uh, genetic abnormalities. Well, they don't do that straight away, do they? So what happens is you, the, the fetus is measured, and mm. if, if it's... Um, so we within or beyond a certain threshold, we measure the spine, I think. Mm. And um, if it's, I don't know, shorter or longer, whatever it is, then you're offered an, an amniotic fluid test. Um, and then you get results saying, you know, you've got one in a thousand chance of your baby being born with Williams syndrome, which is like Down syndrome yeah. or something like that. Amniocentesis? That's it, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You raise a very, a very, very compelling question. Uh, should a society allow an individual to 
get rid of some. Get, I guess the word is get rid of. I don't know. I can't think of any other term. Uh, the only thing I can think of: get rid of another human being because they're retarded or or disabled or or brain injured. Uh, do you think a society should allow that to happen to another human being and devalue oh. that person to that extent? <laughs> it's a matter of devaluation. That's the issue I have with it. Mm, devaluing another human being. If well, you remove that ability, though, aren't you removing the the what is inherently an individual choice of of someone to make that decision? If you if you say. <laughs> Well, now there's, there's, you can't, you can't do that. That's not an option. Um, the, there's an argument to say, well, if if no one ever had the choice to begin with, then that would wouldn't matter, uh, and it would never be a thing. But to be able to to even attempt to do that now in in a modern society where that that choice has been around for decades, uh, I, I don't think that's even possible it's it's a, an interesting thought experiment that would just go round and round in circles um ad nauseum i think um it's impossible one to t- kind of make a judgment on um certainly from my standpoint I, d- I don't i don't feel i could make a judgment either way and i know we've we've discussed mm-hmm. this issue in the past on the on some of the earlier Rora podcasts that we, we did. And it's, uh, it's a doozy. Yeah. Well, but still, I mean, isn't it really, let's get down to the thinking here in, in getting rid of a, a Down syndrome or disabled child or retarded child, mentally challenged is the word people use today. Isn't this really a product of eugenics and its thinking? It, it seems to share a an ancestry, a heritage. The idea does. Uh, it would seem it's in the same sort of ballpark of kind of uh, ensuring a a populace of of um, yeah. You know, the Im- the, implica- the implication is is that this child is going to be a burden, and therefore. We're going to give you the option to terminate. Then don't, then don't, don't get pregnant. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you don't want burdens, then don't, don't get pregnant and, and cause mm. burdens. What well, about then, it, the, yeah, the the question? The obvious question there, isn't it? Is sexual assault? Mm. I suppose someone who's raped. Mm. But what about what about people? Look. It's perfectly legal to have sex as much as you want, I suppose, with anyone you want. Really, there's no laws about it, you know. But isn't that when people do that, these are the kind of consequences that can happen? Hmm. Yeah. They are they are bringing about a situation because of their, frankly, their out of their their conduct and behavior. They may have may have been. They may have had a great time. I don't know whoever they did this with. You know, one one of the loops uh, nicely back into education, and <laughs> and you you have to have that. You know, forewarned is forearmed in all this in every adventure. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> no, I've got to write that yeah, down. Then, tell you, tell my kids that, they're old enough. If you're going to do that, too. then there's going to be these consequences. Do you know, yeah. uh, Andrew? One of the things that that worries me 
you see, because it's such a moral question and it's a difficult one, and your argument makes sense. Um, one of the problems I have is that if you say they did wave a magic lo- a wand and, and make it illegal, would you not just see it going underground and back alley abortions and and that yeah, would be that's a, true. That You're could right. be a, a great you know, human you cost. You can't force the issue on this on this particular idea. No, no. I don't think so. You can't force a woman to have a baby. No. I mean, if you went, um, we're talking about now we have the technology to screen early um, and, and intervene early if we so choose. If you went back into history, you would find that when these babies were born, they would be exposed and left to die. Mm. That, that, that's true. I, I would assume, uh, um, of course, in, in past times, women were sort of told, put into position of being ba- baby baby uh, bringing babies into the world and that was that was all <laughs> they were they were sort of uh, geared to yeah and so um, yes they probably got rid of a lot of them mm. or a lot of them died yeah and a lot a lot a lot of mothers will have died as well yes they did you know we have some things to thank for this uh, you know, increased medical technology we have, but it does re- the eugenics thing raises a lot of interesting moral questions. And what mm. about you know designer babies, like you said, Ben's another arm well, of it, which I might be on the horizon. With with a, I I have a problem. I realize that that abortion is something that is going to happen, and it's inevitable. And uh, but I I have a problem with the idea. Uh, I don't like the idea of devaluing someone because of their race, because of their looks, because of how they dress. For whatever reason, I don't like devaluing people or not being smart enough. That's re- uh, look, isn't that really what they're saying when the person they're talking about a a uh, a mentally challenged person? The person is not, they're not too they don't want to have not too bright people around. And then I, I don't think that's good. I mean, you could look at that as a bit of a slippery slope as well. You know, if the technology gets further advanced, could you be able to screen for kids that are going to have an IQ lower than 60, say? And then the question will be asked, do you want to, uh, you know, and then will Is it... Is that dis- what you... Do you want a society, Phil, where we only have smart people? <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be fucked <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was really that's really what they're talking about isn't it when they, they have an emotion for a kid who's, who's mentally challenged or something they're saying I only want smart people yeah yeah it's it's pretty tragic really isn't it it is tragic yeah I mean I don't as a side I don't like judging a person in that respect I mean uh, I, I'm lucky I've not been in uh, I can't, uh, I've not had that lived experience. I've not been in the position where I've had that news from a, a pregnancy screening and had to make that decision. So I don't think we can judge. I think it's difficult to judge people who, who have had to go through that decision. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is that they, that decision is based on, I don't want stupid people to be bothered with. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> No, That's really what they're saying, isn't it? it? I don't think so. I think you know? it, no, no. I think there's more nuance than that, isn't there? There's more going on in people's lives than, than just thinking I don't want a stupid baby. 
Um, there's a lot of things, yeah. It could be, you know, with pre-existing sort of issues they've got themselves or, um, yeah, the worry of looking after a baby alone. Lots of different things, I suppose. There'll be maybe financial implications and time implications, maybe. Right. Yeah, you're right about that. But our society, Western societies at this point... Um, we put a premium on people. Certainly we put a premium on people who are academic. I think so. Uh, and we do not put much value on people that are not too bright. I don't think so. Yeah. Those people are looked down on basically. Correct. Yeah. There's a certain amount of sort of societal prestige that goes with certain, maybe Mm. certain roles and jobs and job titles. Um, well, let me ask you guys this. Do you think, I, I have a problem with this idea, and it really bothers me. Or in society in the United States, it may be true in the UK, we value uh, men or women who do white-collar work, who dress nice, uh, who... Um, who, who, do, who are executives, maybe do executive kind of work or professional work, lawyers, whatever. Mm. And we do not put much value. We lower the value of people, say, who do manual labor or physical work. I, think- I have a problem with that. Because I don't think that because a person does physical work, they are therefore less of a person than someone who's an executive. I don't think so. I think that's certainly been the case. Uh, one thing I would say is that I think the COVID response has maybe highlighted how much we depend on some of the mm. more blue collar work what you call blue it's not the term blue we color, use over right. here really what would how would you describe it over here ben or matt blue collar white well do you believe that in in yeah. the west blue collar work is not respected as opposed to a doctor or a lawyer or they're, a uh, they're not respect engineer. they're not respected until you need one <laughs> That's when true. You, when you, you when your bathrooms flooding, so- the societies in the West do not respect that group of people. Um, I think even the uh, respect for the academics, scientists, is is eroding now. I think so. More recently, mm. and maybe so. Interesting. Yeah, we are. You, we're having yeah. a bit of a backlash, aren't we? But on experts. Mm. Michael Gove famously said was sick so of So you think that experience. there is less respect for the academic group? Not I, overall, but there's a, there's a decay in it. Um, do you have an explanation for that? They keep getting stuff wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Misinterpretation, I would say. <laughs> See, uh, uh, not on the scientist's part, on the... Uh, well, I think there was a big thing, wasn't there, recently with, um, you heard of Brexit, so, you know, we're leaving the European Union in the mm. UK, yeah, so um, they call, basically the experts called it wrong, I think, you know, they thought we would just remain in the EU and we and we left, so I think that was a, a quite a bit of a, a catalyst for people kind of saying, oh, we don't need experts, an erosion of faith in that they knew what they were talking about effectively. 
I read about breakfast, that back, what happened then in, in the newspapers in the United States. And they said, they made a point of this, that the mm. people who voted to get out of Brexit were stupid, blue-collar, labor class people. I remember them saying that. That's yeah, pretty it's, much correct. It's true, yeah. <laughs> That's been but the- they, do you, I don't think that a person, because a person, as I said, does blue collar work and therefore, therefore limited intellectual. I don't, I don't think so. No, yeah, it was true. It was true for everything that said the, the stupid thing. So, yeah, it was a, quite a lot of labor. Well, outside of London, um, quite a lot of Labour towns um, voted for Brexit, didn't they? Or well, in, the, in the UK, are those people seen as backward? Uh, well, limited? It depends you just on read different view. newspapers. Yeah. It's just all about what newspaper you read. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I, I dislike that kind of thinking. I'll tell you guys, I dislike that kind of thinking about blue-collar work. Mm-hmm. I don't think blue-collar people are less intellectually capable than white-collar people. I'm not convinced yeah. of that. Nope. No, I don't think so. It's going back to what they you were saying. They do a different kind of work, but it doesn't mean their different kind of work makes them less intellectually capable. It's simply Absolutely something. Not. It's a different kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, courses for courses. It's going back to how you start, you know, at the beginning of the conversation when you were talking mm-hmm. about college and university, and it's... Uh, you're drawing the same comp- parallel there between college educated kids and not and white collar and blue collar workers. Yeah. It's uh, well, I, I do have this sense. I don't want to be repetitious that in, in Western society, I'm, I don't know whether it's true in other systems like communist China or something or, or, or Putin's Russia. I don't know, you know, but for it could be that in those societies, like communist China and Putin's Russia, there are many more blue-collar people. Many more. They are not as industrially advanced as the West. So it's a fair chance there'd be more blue-collar people in Russia and China than in England and the United States. I would say so, because I think our economy in particular is very much more based around services. Right. We don't, you know, our manuf- like similar to what's happened in the US, our manufacturing base has declined over the last 30, yeah, 40 that's what years. Happened in those days, yeah, so. it's all gone. Well, in your case, a lot went to <coughs> Mexico and, uh, you know, a lot goes to China and the Far East. So mm. there's less of a demand for blue collar workers, I assume, which is why we've, we've gone into more things like financial services and uh, hospitality, right. tourism. But l- let me ask you this. I, I have another problem with, ca- with capitalism in this respect. You know, you raise a very good point, Phil, of outsourcing jobs for cheap labor. Yeah. The reason capitalism is based on profits. If I can make a profit, I do it. <laughs> uh, and it's based on getting the paying people the least you can pay them, if you allow this to occur, without control. It's getting people the least you can pay them and getting the most out of them. Mm. That's classic capitalism. But isn't really outsourcing jobs to Mexico or, or China or Thailand, isn't that really the same thing? They have a, The capitalists have achieved a a method of paying the least and having a slave labor system 
not in their own countries, yeah. but they have worked it. They can do it other places. Correct? Yeah, you have you have yeah. children, child labor in, in Congo, mining lithium and, and whatnot. That's right. Or, so or the capitalists have, a, have, a, have come up with getting around child labor in this country, in your yeah. country, in my country. Outsourcing. Getting around it. Aren't they really? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I have, I told you, I have a problem with that kind of thinking of just making everything based on profits and pay and paying as little as possible and getting as much out of people as possible. That is classic capitalism. That is capitalism at the turn of the century. That is capitalism where we can get, we can push as much out of a human being as we can get them, pay them the least and, and get more money for ourselves. That is, isn't that classic capitalism? Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the alternative for the West, Andy? Would you? I don't you think they idea? should. I, do you <laughs> think it is right? You people need in their own countries, such as the UK or the. I don't know. Do they outsource in, in the UK? Yeah. They outsource oh, yeah. jobs. They do. Yeah. 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 See uh, the. But the, the issue, one of the issues, first of all, I don't like this idea of slave labor particularly. It doesn't appeal to me particularly. That they're, they're getting around the controls that were placed in, 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 the, in, the, in the 20th century around these kind of activities. They're, they're skirting around it by doing this. But my, my issue with that outsourcing is that the workers in the UK, United States, they don't want to pay them union wages. <laughs> Correct? Yeah. Yeah, things that yeah, were fought for for years, basically. They don't want to pay people the wages that they'd have to pay them in our countries. So they do this. But the in fact, people need jobs in the UK and the United States. These people, not everybody's gone to an elite school... And their parents have a lot of money. Some some may fit in that category, but a lot don't. And the fact of the matter is, should these people be excluded from the job market by this method? They can't get a job. It's all being outsourced. Yeah. I, no? sp- I mean, that's point of Trump's point, wasn't it? Was to be a bit more protectionist in his outlook and try and encourage manufacturing to to regrow in the States and bring some of it home? Yes, it was. But the the issue for me here is, is, and I don't want to get into a political discussion because people have different views in this respect, but I have an issue with, uh, first of all, the result is that unions are eliminated. In the United States, unions have been eliminated. And therefore, the, the bottom line is that a large number of people, because of this system that has developed, can't get a job. Or they may get a job that barely pays only a bit. They may have to have two per diem jobs or something. Mm. So I have an issue with the capitalist system in this respect. Yeah, we, we need you need some sort of degree of state oversight, don't you, to try and try and monitor these things and do you think do you think that these companies should be allowed to do that? To push jobs out of their own societies and have a slave labor system? It's a tricky one because uh 
the alternative would seem to be to restrict the market in some way. Uh, and that may but they are in the in outsourcing they are they are hitting at the economic basis of their own country yeah yeah i think you know part of the problem andrew is that we're a lot more consumerist maybe than we were pre-world war ii and i think we're used now we're used to having these cheap goods and, uh, we have a bit of a throwaway society, and uh, we do. That so you don't think the government should control outsourcing? I don't see how it would work practically. How would it work? You pass laws. You got to say you got you got to employ where you got to you got to stay in this country and pay people a living wage, which is what they should do. Right. So we we have a minimum wage. We have a minimum wage in this country. And there's, right. and there's currently a campaign to introduce um, a living wage. You have a minimum wage in the UK? Yeah. Yeah. A statutory one, yeah. Do, do you still have... I'm just curious, because unions have been wrecked in the United States. I'm pro-union. I'll tell you, Phil. I'm pro-union. Because I think that people need... Uh, there has to be a balance of power in the employment situation. So I'm pro-union. But do you still have unions in, in the UK? There are unions, um, but the powers were very much um, reduced by Margaret Thatcher in the 80s. Um, so like picketing and things like that. So something stupid, uh, it's just one thing that sticks in my mind is um, for a picket line, you can have a maximum of three people on an entrance to a building and that's it. Stuff like that, basically. So did Margaret Thatcher, did she try to get rid of unions? Um, I don't think she, it would have been possible for her to get rid of them, but she basically reduced the amount of power and sway that he had. Simply, because it was. Have you heard of the coal miners' strike mm. in the UK? So you, a lot to do with that. A lot to do with like the general strike, I think, as well, um, and the three-day week and all that kind of stuff that happened in the seventies. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, they were seen as uh, meddlesome and troublesome. Um, so you know, not was she a was she a uh, come from a wealthy background? No, her mum and dad were greengrocers. I think so. She oh, wasn't, yeah. and I think she was. I think she was educated. And she went through the. Have you heard of the grammar school system? Oh, yeah, yeah. So she was went to a grammar school um, and to I think to university from there. I think. If you were to compare Tony Blair and Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> yeah. what would you see positive and good about those two people? Or be, or not so good? If you yeah. were to line them up. I suppose, I don't know. I, I, I don't Tony really had know. a nicer smile, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose from my view, and uh, it depends on how you sort of see it now, he spent more on education, Tony Blair. Um, had a more uh, what you might call a modern approach, more modern approach to education than Margaret Thatcher would. Um, spent more on healthcare, but again, I don't really know. <laughs> other than kind of the stuff on, um, you know, the negative things you I've read about Margaret Thatcher. I don't know what positive things. You know, she was more for the European Union, was she? Or was she? I can't remember now. Um, but I, I seem to remember she was quite into Reaganomics, trickle down 
economics, you know, the idea of getting big businesses in, wealth people in, and the, the money's in the system, so it kind what of was trickles it, down. What was Reaganomics? I don't remember that. I think it's like trickle-down economics. That's so. nonsense. Yeah. I believe it's a lie. I yeah. believe it's a lie. Well, it's, There's well, no trickle-down. They're just keeping the money they make. Well, I, yeah, that's what I mean. I prefer, so I prefer to call accumulation, it... accumulation, isn't it, basically? The I, greed. I prefer to call it golden well, shower economics. I, I remember that supply-side economics, and I, yeah. I, I, it was it was such a big lie that it really mm. bothered me because right. uh, it was... You know, I know, Phil, very well that wealthy people and big business makes money and keeps it. <laughs> it doesn't trickle down to anybody else. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so. That's the issue, isn't it? That's why the, so everyone's talking about now why is, um, the middle class is being squeezed, isn't it? Essentially, there's less people in, in the, the United middle. States. There's no real middle class anymore. Right. Okay. I don't think so. It's... Uh, our system is, uh, uh, it's still capitalist, but uh, I have to say that in, from my limited knowledge of it, it's not working too well. Mm-hmm. For example, as I mentioned to you, Phil, uh, in some sense, there are no real jobs. They're part-time jobs. As you say, the jobs have been outsourced. So the result is that people can only get a per diem or part-time job. The unions have been eliminated. So the people who could enter the middle class with raised wages through those two unions can't do it anymore. And this is a real, real problem when social mobility breaks down. It, it makes people despair. It makes people hopeless that they can't it's get on. It's very difficult. I think, despite life. what the government says in the United States, I don't know what they say in the UK. I don't know what, what exactly they say about this kind of thing. I mean, is it difficult? Let me ask you this in the UK. It's, I think it's difficult to get employment in the United States, but is it is it also difficult? a difficult system in the UK in the way I described? Sorry, what, what do you mean? Well, I'm saying that um, when, when you don't have unions mm. and when you outsource jobs, the result is that, I hate to say it, but people can't get a, a quality living wage. They um, will get a part-time job. Yeah. They will get some kind of little job in addition. Mm. And there's no pensions. There's no benefits. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, in, yeah, in the UK uh, and Europe, um, well, if you're part of the European Union, I should say, there's a, there's a statutory right to sort of have um, a certain amount of holiday. So I think it's four weeks, if I'm correct. Really? I think, yeah. So that's the minimum. Um, obviously, if you're employed, that is. Um, but in terms of, at the moment, there's, there's quite a lot of debate around something called um, zero-hour contracts, um, in this country. So a lot of big, you know, startup companies, a lot of large um, retail companies. Amazon. Um, empl- uh, Amazon, yeah, employ people on what we call a zero-hour contract in that um, they're not guaranteed any hours, basically. So the one uh, week... That's what we have. our system here, right? basically. Okay. Um, but there's a kind of... There's an argument for it and an argument against, you know. So some people like it, you know, like... Sh- comes that something I had like you know students for example someone who's at university um 
they might want to just work here and there. Um, whereas, you know, someone who's struggling to find alternative employment um, and is stuck, you know, one week working 15 hours of the week working, working 40 and they need to be working 40 um, consistently, obviously wouldn't like that as much. But there's problems and cons to it. Mm. One of the problems in the employment sector in the United States is in the United States, I don't know if it's true. I don't think it's quite quite as true in the UK. People are constantly, absolutely, constantly fired and losing their jobs. Wow. Uh, I think we should have a system in which there's some protection for people. Mm. Agree. In that respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, some, some sort of employment rights. Employment rights on so. the whole are a good thing. I think people should should have some level of security in their job. I think your yeah. system's a bit more, I would say, aggressive than ours. Mm. We have we probably have more protection for workers, and uh, that's the yes. way to go. I think certainly if you've been working with a company for over two years, I think is the cut off. You have additional rights in terms of. So you can't be fired that easily in the UK. Uh, in in theory, yeah, but I'm sure you know in lots of small companies, you know, people are just fired. Yeah, that goes on as well. Um, but in like in larger companies that have processes, I'm sure it still happens. But um, there are supposed to be sort of systems there that stop it. Yeah. Mm. So is, well, is, I think it's been about an hour, hasn't it? I was just going to yeah. say, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. an hour and a quarter nearly. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, I, yeah we, I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, I thanks, really enjoyed dude. it. Yeah, yeah it's nice to talk, talk with you. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, we we hit some some important stuff. It was interesting. I think I learned something. I'm well, sure. I should say, I'm a little did. bit of the left. I'm a little bit of the right. Yeah, I should say yeah. we need both. <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk about the parables next time. <laughs> okay, yeah. great. All right, next time you want to schedule, we'll talk about the parables. Sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, thanks, okay. thanks for it coming. Thanks for coming, thanks Andy. All right, yeah. take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. That was our chat with Andy Sachin. We'll be back in a flash. Alright, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. <laughs> that was our chat Bye. with Andy. That was our chat with Andrew Shatkin. Yeah. Interesting chat. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get him back to talk about, you know. The reason why we got him on. <laughs> yeah. It was good. He was interesting in what we had to say, which caught me off guard a little bit. Yes. <laughs> the Inquisitors become the Inquisitied. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. So Shame, don't, forget to, don't forget to check out his um, his website, shatkin.com, link in the description as usual. And mm. Shatkin Show, he has his own radio show. Oh, not a podcast. Uh, I think it's a po- podcast as well, I think. All right. Yeah, so I'll make sure you check that out. Should we do some yeah. housekeeping? Housekeeping. 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 <laughs> right, first order of housekeeping is a serious business because... Matt, you called me out this week because of um, my 
horrible language I used last week. Rightly so. So I was talking about the, um, towards the end of the episode, about the Atlantic slave trade. And I used, what I, when I, I listened back to it, and what I would describe as uh, insensitive and uh, belittling language. I think that's fair to say. So, yeah. so I'd like to apologise for that. I don't, oh. I don't, I'd try not to, um, I'm not going, trying to go out of my way to uh, offend people. What was it you said? <laughs> <laughs> nice try, nice try. You know, the truth is I'm, ang- I'm angry and frustrated mm. about the current discourse on some of these subjects and mm. uh, it, belittling the Atlantic slave trade is terrible because I'm I'm well aware of the human cost of of slavery. Mm. Not the thing is, uh, I think a lot of people look at the Atlantic slave trade in isolation, and because I'm a I'll, I'm like an amateur student of history, I look at it as like a continuum, and it's it's always existed. It's a, a constant of the human story. Slavery, go right mm. back to. Hammurabi, back in the Bronze Age, we talk about slaves. Mm. You know, the classical period, Roman Greece, slavery was a big thing. Mm. You know, right through to look at the Vikings. Mm. You know, the Vikings preyed on the Slavs in the East and and the Britons in the West and traded in slaves. And it's it's just gone on and on and on. And it's still going on today. Mm-hmm. And um, I just try and try and look at th- trying to look in things in perspective, I guess, an overall perspective. And you know, it's uh, it's a tough one. So I'm sorry about that. It's okay, isn't it? We all make mistakes. Yeah. Um. So it's just a very sensitive subject, isn't it? It is, and the, yeah. There was a great, I told you the other day, mm. there was a great podcast that came out this week. Um, I wrote down Trigonometry, which is one I listen to fairly regularly. But the guest was Professor Nigel Bigar. He's from Oxford, Professor at Oxford, uh, in Moral and Pastoral Theology. And the title of the podcast was Should We Be Ashamed of Our History? Mm. And it was really interesting. I, I mean, the first 30 minutes was him talking about his personal situation and how he'd sort of they've tried to cancel him for doing a trying to do a research project on the uh, ethics of the British Empire and, and he sort of got shut down and people started bailing. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. But uh, that's even before he come to his conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a group of students got together and and lobbied oh to God. to have it stopped. So that was like the first half, and then the second half of of the uh, interview, he sort of addresses the question of the of the ethics of the empire. And mm. see, I think mo- a lot of the modern discourse is centered around it was evil, mm. um, and like he says, there there were good things and bad things, and show me a state that's existed for any length of time that hasn't done heinous things. Yeah, they would argue it's a necessary evil. There, there isn't any. To build. Mm. 
he raised an interesting, a really interesting point and came to an, a really interesting conclusion about why it's the British Empire that gets singled out. So, um, so like the, well, the interviewer says, is it um, a sort of a victim of your own success sort of thing? You know, people, people don't make a fuss about the Swedish Empire, for, for example, because it, they were a smaller player. And the, the Swedes don't sort of take this negative view of, of their own empire. Part of the um, research project he was doing, he asked one of his like, research fellows, whatever, find me um, a contemporary ex- Islamic scholar criticising the Arab slave trade. And the research fellow came back and said, uh, yeah, there aren't any. It, it seems quite unique to the British Empire. And um, his, his rationale was really interesting. He was, he was of the view that how we live today, liberal, democratic, capitalist society, that sort of came from the pre-post-war period, the foundation of that was the British Empire and, and the institutions that we have today were modelled on that and you get things like the League of Nations and the, that turns into the United Nations and all these other institutions and that our whole culture the, is sort of like, a, there's like a foundation stone of the British Empire and he's of the conclusion that they're a part of this thing is, is to see the collapse of Western civilization. By undermining the British Empire, uh, who would do that? You know, to what end? Yeah, that's what I mean. What's the Chinese Communist Party? China, yeah, Russia. I've heard this argument. Ah, yeah, right, China okay. and Russia trying to bring down the the Western way of of thinking and, and maybe Iran post nineteen seventy nine. Um, Marxists. Also, China. Like, you think there's a deliberate seeding of this kind of sentiment basically that's part of what he was saying it's really interesting right. i'd recommend if anyone's interested in the subject i mean he i mean it'll be difficult listening for some people because he talks about just like the atlantic slave trade and the nature of it that a lot of people aren't aware of so it's you know it might be uncomfortable listening but i'd highly recommend it mm. Mm. sounds interesting I think I'd listen to that. Yeah, definitely. It's only an hour. Good. Okay. Best podcast. Can we do? Can we do fun housekeeping now? Yeah, yeah unless you've anything to add. Downer, man. <laughs> no. Right. Okay. Well, that's that out of the way. Well covered, Phil. Uh, iTunes reviews. We, we need them. Yeah, we haven't got any more. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Yeah, we've we've got we've got l- literally two more people have messaged us this week who could have left iTunes reviews. And have oh, they? No, have, have they? Not? they? No, terrible. No, they haven't. So leave us iTunes reviews. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel is important yeah. because yeah. there might be a live stream coming up soon. Oh, <laughs> might be special. Might be, yeah. Uh, and that might be on YouTube. So subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, send us articles, um, videos, interesting clips, things that yeah. we, we might want to discuss. Then mm. we have some, some messages. 
had some messages, haven't yeah, we? we had saying some, how awesome had, we are. I think we had a couple of nice messages that deserve singling out. Yeah. We, we don't read the bad going, ones out. <laughs> are we going to um, say the names, full names, or should I just say the first names? Yeah, the producers, read them out. All right, okay. So we had a message from Tim Deeks. Um, he's just finished the previous episode with Gary, Gary Arndt. Um, and he said, uh, just finished the episode. Loved Gary. What a fascinating man. Look forward to following more episodes. Hi, 10. Excellent. Wow. In okay. an emoji. Yeah. And then we just, you know, David Stilly. Yeah. He's on vacation somewhere and can't access episode 145. I don't know what you're doing, David, because I can get it on Podbean and all the other um, apps that are out there. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, though. Yes. Yeah, if you do have any problems, send us a message, Instagram or uh, email, armysinquisition yeah. at gmail.com. And if yeah. you're thinking about adding emojis, the process of doing so is about as laborious as doing an iTunes review. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to well, tell you... Sorry, was that it, Matt? Uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, he's just said, uh, thanks for being awesome. Oh. oh thanks, nice David. To get recognition we deserve. I know, yeah. <laughs> thanks, David. Um, I was on Instagram recently, mm-hmm. and uh, I was looking at a post. I follow those conspiracy guys who are an Irish yeah. podcast. We, we, Big yes, hitter. We mentioned those previously, yeah. And uh, I was on one of their posts, and I often look at who else has liked the post, and I came across chap <laughs> called uh, Jamie Carter private oh. and he had an injury oh, yes. part of his thing said uh, GB I think it was GB Olympic athlete or something right, oh okay. ooh, that's interesting so I sent him a follow request mm. and he messaged us I should oh, have right, written okay. it down uh, saying alright uh, oh, you're a podcaster right okay anyway he's uh, he started listening right excellent from episode one. Not oh, excellent. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there, oh. mate. Oh no. He the said uh, ages. Uh, some, uh, the some of those like ranks. some of those five hours long. <laughs> he said, where, where should I start? I said, Well, we did a really interesting one with <laughs> Rudolph. Um the yeah. chap in question, Jamie, is also on the square, on the level. Oh. Albert Square. <laughs> The, uh, he's a, an entered apprentice in the, the, uh, the Freemasonic. I can't do the sign like that. You've got to do this, haven't you? Roll your trouser leg up. Yeah. Yeah, bay and nipple or something. Live yeah. long and prosper. <laughs> so I said, uh, yeah, we had a 30-year Freemason on and didn't talk mm. to him about Freemasonry. So listen to that one. <laughs> but no, it's gone back to the beginning. That's the first rule of Freemasonry Club, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Don't talk about the lodge. Ah, oh, dear. So I thought that was that was interesting. I thought you'd get a laugh out of that. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, probably we changed format around sort of mid-May, start of June, and we've seen a real uptick in downloads and listens since mm. we did this hour with a guest and mm. then just us sticking around for a bit at the end. It's called so, it's called the reverse Grimerica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's got to have a name. I just want to write a thesis about that in, in future years. After we've yeah. all been on Bake Off three times each. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything to add for producers? No. 
What's the number way you become no, a producer, fuckwits? Oh, sorry, that bit. Um, you need to, you need to um, uh, give us money. Toss us a coin, you bitches. <laughs> Toss a coin to your witcher, Old Valley of Plenty. Thank you. Yeah. Monetary donations are acceptable. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll thank the producers for this week. Producers okay. for episode 148 are Phil Gornell, Jonathan Mitchell, Jamie Carter, Sweet Tea for the Soul, Tambarista 2020, Tim Deeks, <laughs> David Stilly, Maggie Vandenberg, Sophia Slay, and Dick Pound. <laughs> Dick, Dick Pound? Wow. Dick Pound, the legendary, the legend that is Dick Pound. So thank Excellent. you. This goes out to you. <laughs> They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. You're wrong, and you're a grotesquely ugly freak. I'm a blind man. With the fact that I am gay. <sighs> like a judgment day and terminating mode, like. Personally, I'd like to see some more from, from Dick Pound. <laughs> I've got it. It's what. Oh. It's what. Oh dear. Shall we move on? Yeah. Okay, you know what it's time for? COVID 19 news. Oh, some big news has been a. Absolute blockbuster of a story from the New York Times this week about the PCR test. Have you heard about this? No. Polymerase chain reaction. Mm. What's this test? Oh, sorry. The COVID-19 test the P- P- that we take to see if you've got... Is that, is, that, is that what I've had with the swab? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I've got a clip. I had to break this down into four clips. And this is... Oh, I'll sit back. This is, yeah. this is from One American News, and it's pretty interesting. According to a bombshell new report, up to 90% of positive COVID-19 tests in multiple states in our country should have been negative. And before Facebook censors this video, or Snopes or PolitiFact tries to slap a fact check label on it, this report came from the New York Times. That's right, the New York Times. According to the Times, and I quote, Standard tests are diagnosing huge numbers of people who may be carrying relatively insignificant amounts of the virus and are not likely to be contagious, end quote. Let me repeat that. The vast majority of positive COVID-19 PCR tests in our country are clinically insignificant because the people who popped positive are not likely to be contagious. Why? Why? Shall we find out? The nature of the polymerase chain reaction. It's to do with the amplification process. The amplification. Oh, how they multiply. Let's go on to clip two. The answer is amplification cycles. Let me explain because it's actually quite simple. A PCR test, which is the most common type of COVID-19 test, the kind you're familiar with, identifies the virus's genetic material in a swab sample and then amplifies it over and over again until a machine can detect the DNA of the virus. If the machine detects the virus's DNA, then the test pops positive. But the number of times the genetic material on the swab sample is amplified is hugely important because it correlates to viral load, 
We're all familiar with the idea that if you get COVID-19 and you're asymptomatic, you likely have a very small viral load in your system. Or conversely, if you get COVID-19 severely, you might have a higher viral load. Well, if you amplify the genetic material of the swab sample enough times, you will detect the virus DNA even if the viral load in the person's body is clinically insignificant. Meaning, even if that person only has traces of the virus in their body, even if they're not symptomatic themselves, even if they're very unlikely to be contagious and transmit the virus to other people. So the New York Times examined COVID-19 testing data from New York, Massachusetts, and Nevada, and found, and I quote, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus. And Wow. Is there a, I was going to ask if there was like a standard amplification cycles to, uh, to adhere to when you're doing the PCR test. We're going to go on to that. I think most of the experts recommend no more than 30 amplifications. I think I know what the answer is going to be. (laughs) A hundred. This is because the PCR tests for COVID-19 in the United States are using anywhere between 35 and 40 amplification cycles to identify the genetic material of the virus. And many experts agree that anything higher than 30 amplification cycles will result in inactive, dead, or clinically insignificant amounts of the virus being detected, therefore causing the test to show up as positive. In fact, the New York Times claims that of the 45,000 positive COVID-19 tests that happened one day last week, and I quote here, if the rates of contagiousness in Massachusetts and New York were to apply nationwide, then perhaps only 4,500 of those people may actually need to isolate and submit to contact tracing, end quote. Mm, so it explains why, well, it might explain, I should say, why the, the infection rate there is so much higher than everywhere else in the world or whatever. They've done more testing than anyone by a fucking mile. They've done millions, 60-odd million tests and they're picking up dead virus. Why is this important, though? This is what we need to know. So why is this important? Because public health policy, the lockdowns, the quarantines, the travel restrictions, businesses closed, gyms shut down, families prohibited from holding funerals, people not allowed to go to church. That is based on the number of COVID-19 cases in our country, not the COVID-19 death count, not the infection fatality rate, not the hospitalization rate, not the number of ventilators in use, not the ICU bed capacity. No, no. The COVID-19 public policy in our country is based on COVID case numbers, which means positive COVID-19 tests. And according to the New York Times report, up to 90% of positive COVID-19 tests should be negative. She doesn't go on to say that potentially this would wipe 90% off your COVID death figures as well. Yeah. Because there doesn't have to be any clinical link between the disease and the death. It's just a case of you died with COVID. Mm. I know that's the the stupid thing, isn't it, still? Uh, On on average, the average COVID death has 2.6 comorbidities. Mm. It might be that it's the comorbidities that are killing them. In in the vast majority of cases, mm-hmm. 
it would explain why young kids aren't dying of it. Because generally young kids don't die. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Strange. I said weeks ago that the guy who invented the PCR test said this is not a diagnostic, it's not suitable for, to be used as a diagnostic test. But yes, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that being a thing. Deb- it was like a big debate, wasn't it, before they even started doing it, whether it was fit for purpose. But obviously <laughs> they just thought, oh, fuck it. Like everything else, everything else has just been a, a, fuck a fucking shambles, hasn't it? Even now, even the, like in, in the UK, the death... The death, you know, to be classed as dying from COVID, you have had to have tested positive within 28 days, is it, currently? It's always been died with, not it's of. Just, I know, it's crazy. You know, it makes you wonder if they tested for something else. If they tested for flu to the same extent, mm, would we yeah. have a similar thing? It's hard to say. Yeah. 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 Nothing's ever been carried out like this before, has it? This sort of mass mm-hmm. testing. For a specific mm. illness, I don't think, I presume. No. You'd think by now they'd, they'd have kind of investigated further and figured out some improvements in these things, which, mm. I mean, what's the... If it's, is it just political nervousness about the whole thing? Or, or is there... I don't know. I, I, I can't see any valid reason to... to carry on as we are without any further invest without doing any investigation into actually what's going on <laughs> it's it's seems mental <laughs> isn't there a different test they can do now isn't there some sort of rapid test or is it the there's same? antibody tests i don't know what the rapid test is it's something serology based to do with saliva isn't there i've read I wonder if it's Depends different. Depends what they do after it. I mean, how you take the sample. Mm. Obviously, spitting into a into a universal container is is much better than having your brain scraped through your nostrils. <laughs> um, it's not that bad, isn't that? No, I nearly went the other day. I thought, oh, I'll go just for the experience. Mm. So that's no, I think though. it's yeah, it's fine. Wasn't uncomfortable, Matt. Was it no. just a slightly? I don't know what people are moaning about. <laughs> no, I was just. I mean, I quite often shove a cotton bug up my nose, so you know. How far up does it go? So the, oh. I, I was advised to shoot up two centimeters up my nostril. Oh, you did it yourself? Yeah, two centimeters. Yeah, yeah. didn't even touch the sides. <laughs> I think there's a different one. I think the earlier test was the one where they had to like get it in behind your cheek or something. Yeah. Well, that that yeah, you shove it up the the yeah, little flappy thing up your nose. Right. Oh, well. you shove it up there, and you swipe, twist it round. Shove it up the other one, twist it round, um, and then wipe the back of your throat with it. Right. Do you use the same ends to do both nostrils? Uh, yeah, it's just just one swab. Yeah. That's so it. you use your throat and your nostrils with the same swab. Well, you do your back of your throat and then your nostrils. Yeah. The same swab. Okay. Some people have been... I wasn't told to do this, but my mum has had it done because she's going for a a procedure, not an operation, she told me. Um, And she was advised to swab her tonsils as well. Ooh. Ah. Mm. (laughs) But when you say the back of the throat, it's like the thing behind the the dangly bit. Your uvula. Yeah. Behind there, I had to wipe that bit with a swab. How's your gag reflex? 
pretty solid. <laughs> Got some static yeah. just appeared. Pardon? Some static. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. Oh. Well, yeah. So no, I, yeah. You know, if you if you're worried about having the test done, it's fine. Okay, it's good. fine. It's fine. Should we move on from the testing? Yeah. Should we go uh, to our Antipodean friends to the most the most famous oh, arrest no. the most famous arrest in the world right now? Oh God! A pregnant woman has been charged with incitement after police raided her Ballarat home. The 28-year-old live-streamed her arrest on Facebook after allegedly encouraging friends to attend a lockdown protest. Crime reporter Lana Murphy. At three o'clock this afternoon, four detectives storm into a home. Now, you're under arrest in relation to incitement. Incitement? Yeah. A young mother, still in her pyjamas, is cuffed. What on earth? Excuse me, what, what on earth? Slapped with a search warrant in front of her partner and young children. What's this? An ultrasound in an hour? Yeah, she's pregnant. But Ballarat detectives were determined to question Zoe Bueller after the 28-year-old allegedly created this Freedom Day Facebook event, asking her friends to remember the 5th of September. I wasn't breaking any laws by doing You are that. actually, you are breaking all. That's why I'm arresting you in relation to... In front How of can you children, arrest her? That's... In front of my two children. The former cleaner turned candle maker has posted that COVID is nice. a hoax and police allege she was behind an anti-lockdown demonstration similar to those planned in major cities across the world this Saturday. Can't you just say to her, take the post down? Like, come I mean, on. I'm happy to delete the post. This, this is ridiculous. Any device in this house would well, you're not taking my phone. Yesterday, two men accused of planning the Melbourne event were arrested. The RSL slamming the tens of thousands of protesters expected to gather at the Shrine of Remembrance. To protest at the Shrine is really quite disrespectful for all those that have served and, and we should be commemorating service and sacrifice, not protesting there. Pete, Zoe Bueller has now been released from custody and is facing a $20,000 fine. Meanwhile, Victoria Police says anyone planning on attending a protest on Saturday can expect swift and firm action. It says that any gathering of this nature is a blatant breach of the Chief Health Officer's directions and puts Victorians' lives at risk. Now, $20,000 fine. Fucking hell. Plus, I believe the maximum punishment is 20 years for incitement. Oh, fuck off. It's just ridiculous, isn't it, that? I mean, you know, you can say the rights and wrongs of her allegedly encouraging people to go and protest, but fucking arresting her and finding her $20,000. I love the bit where uh, the boyfriend goes, hey, that's my phone, Dad. You're not taking my phone. <laughs> yeah, we are. Sorry, yeah, we're having it. I know, yeah, I know. Yoink. It's, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of in outcry, even from sort of like lefty places, um, liberal kind of law firms and institutions, saying that they kind of uh, starting to oversell. Is it Victoria again? I presume so. Yeah, yeah. that's a hot spot. Um, yeah, that's sort of starting to really push the boundaries of what's kind of acceptable in a, a democracy, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. Tyrannical government's only a few steps away, you know. Mm. What is it, Othman yeah. says? Hey, constant vigilance. Yeah. Constant vigilance. You know, your rights are very hard won and easily taken away. Mm. 
And that's why they have the Second Amendment, one of the reasons anyway. But, you know, that's another story. Yeah. So, I thought that was, uh, yeah, it's pretty, well, I don't know. I can't see it happening here. We've had protests. Man, you've had Piers Corbyn was arrested, wasn't he, yesterday? He was, yeah. Um, Arch, the ex-Archbishop was that that um, Extinction Rebellion thing as well in London. Yeah, I was, was wondering it? if that was mm. oh, who Extinction Andrew was Rebe- talking about. That's not COVID, that's XR. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. I thought we were talking about just protests in general because the Extinction Rebellion have been protesting, haven't they, in London? Yeah, they tend to make a bit of a nuisance of themselves, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. I got a, I got a world-class Vox Pop from uh, one of our Romanian friends being interviewed on on uh, British TV. Oh, I was trying to watch this the other day. It won't load. There is no coronavirus in Britain, yeah. says Yozis from Romania. But just in case, he says jokingly, he has medication. This. Vodka. Oh! That's your protection? Protection, yes. You don't think there's any coronavirus? No coronavirus. That's an... Oh, right, it's definitive. There you go. Yeah. He's got his there protection. Go. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I mean, he's either right or he's wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. Dr. Bill's back on the scene. Oh, no. Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill Gates is back on Bloomberg. And uh, <laughs> he was brought on Bloomberg to once and for all definitively debunk hydroxychloroquine. There's a lot of bad information about therapeutics out there. Debunk some of the myths for us, hydroxychloroquine being one of them. Well, it's, it's in, you know, we, this is an age of science, but, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't yeah, feel well. that way. Uh, you know, just the idea is about testing and uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, you know, the numbers are, are quite clear. It got confused because the trials were done so poorly, but uh, there's lots of good things coming in the therapeutic area that are, you know, really proven to work without the severe side effects. So, uh, you know, a little bit slow, but a, a, a lot of good news to come in that domain. I thought that was really interesting. He said, yeah, the, the numbers are bad, but it's confusing because the trials were done so poorly. What does that tell you? Hmm. And then he goes on to say about the horrendous side effects. Of his own vaccine? No, of hydroxychloroquine. All oh, right, okay. A malaria medication that's been in use for fucking decades. It's one of the safest medications you can take. And he's going on about horrendous side effects. Mm. It mixed up, isn't he? Summer's not right there. Oh, Bill, I feel sorry for him. Yeah. He wasn't done. He should have stayed out of all this nonsense. You know, he's, he does a lot of philanthropic charity work. or Yeah, toilets. Know. I don't know yeah. why they keep bringing him out to back, because he's so fucking shit at it. <laughs> Talk about, he's like a night watchman, isn't he? Is he, not, is he not just a friend of Michael Bloomberg? And that's why he's on Bloomberg. Oh, he's everywhere. He's, mm. he's, he's ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Um, you know, last week we talked about, I said that we're going to start seeing this link between COVID and climate change. Oh, no. Hooray! 
And if we don't solve the climate problem, do you believe there will be more pandemics? worst pandemics in the future. Well, that's not the only thing. You'll have incredible instability because your ability to grow food uh, in large parts of the world will be so diminished that you'll literally have hundreds of millions of migrants uh, and you won't have a thriving global economy uh, because you will have degraded the ecosystems. And you, there is no quick fix to that thing, unlike the magic vaccine, it's a mere, it's magic. Uh, you know, year to two years at most to come up with the magic yeah. vaccine. Oh, well done, well done, Bill. You just rescued yourself there. Yeah, I thought globalists were all about mass immigration and open borders. Yeah, I know. What is all uh, about? Yeah, I know. That was like a bit of scaremongering, wasn't it? Ooh, we're going to have. Uh, Loads of farm workers coming now. Uh, oh, know. no. Oh, no, 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 no. So, yeah, he should be uh, seen and not heard, I think. Yeah. Talking yeah. of someone who should be seen and not heard, Joe Biden's oh. been let out of his basement. Oh, no. Yeah, he's been uh, talking on telly. I have, oh. some, I have some clips. Oh, uh, this is Joe talking about the, the, you know, the, the incident in Portland last week. With the gun- shoot, shooting, yeah, the gunman, and we talked about it. The guy, the Trump supporter, who was essentially executed in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's hear what Joe thinks about it. I think uh, what happened in uh, uh, in uh, Portland, where a one, one of the Trump guys riding along in vans, inciting response, is shooting rubber bullets, I guess, or paintballs. Apparently, there was someone shot by someone in the crowd with a bullet killed. I think that person should meet the legal requirements and whatever that calls for. He obviously knows nothing about what's going on. Yeah, or, why does he know? Or is he just trying to, like, gloss over it and want for a better term? He's either really poorly informed or is mm. just an, completely senile. Because <laughs> how he described it is just nothing like what happened. You see the cavalcade going through. It's daylight. And they're, they're driving know. through the town in a, a convoy, these Trump supporters. The, right. the killing happens at night. The guy's walking down the street. And someone walks up to him. He's identified as a Trump supporter and killed. Right. It's just okay. a complete mischaracterization. Maybe he's just not seen it or he's unaware. But I think if you're unaware and you haven't seen it, you shouldn't be fucking sticking your head out about it. Maybe. Mm. Mm. Um, we'll stick with Joe. I've got one. This clip's just called Joe Blathering. <laughs> you know, there's a, uh, during World War II, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that, uh, you know, was totally different than a, than the, the it's called, he called it the, you know, the World War II. He had the war, the, the war production board. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to say. I don't know what, what, he's, what he's going on about. <laughs> yeah, he had something in World War Two, though, didn't he? He had something. Did he? It was something, yeah. The war, the World War Two, something. Mm-hmm. Should we? Uh, I think this is from last year. I think it's before the COVID crisis. But we've got a, a clip has surfaced of him talking about gay people. It's quite oh, funny. No. 
If you were at a fancy restaurant in Washington five, six years ago at an important business meeting and a gay or a lesbian waiter came up or transgender, spoke with a lisp or demonstrated they were <laughs> gay or lesbian, and someone at that luncheon table said, made fun of that person, no one would have said anything. Lisp. Yeah, oh, you've got to have a, doing? You've got to have a lisp or somehow make it known that you're gay. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but I saved the best till last. He's, he's been talking about COVID. Right. And um, he's got important things to say about COVID. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, it's taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, I mean, you think about it. More lives this year than any other year for the past 100 years. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that that's true. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Well, I suppose it is true, actually, isn't it? COVID oh, has COVID. taken, yeah, COVID has taken more lives this year than any other year, definitely. <laughs> in the last hundred years? Yeah, yeah, in the last hundred years, yeah. I've, I've stick my neck on the on the block and say that. You're a lion, dog faced pony soldier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh dear. I got hairy legs. <laughs> we um, we had a big um, political story in the UK this week: the Tony Abbott debacle. Oh, debacle. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, what's all this about, Matt? Um, he's he's been called out as a misogynist and a homophobe, hasn't he? Um, Tony, Tony Abbott. He's the ex uh, prime minister of Australia. Mm-hmm. Now I can't I, I can't remember, but did he have to resign for something, or did he get voted out? Do you know? I think he got vo- I think he vote- got voted out. So he didn't resign in like disgrace. Oh, no, I don't um, think so. No, that's right. Then, um, then yeah. So he, he sort of said sort of things that could be conceived as homophobic and misogynistic. Have you got the clip? It's to do with the the trade board, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's been he's been he's he's coming in as a special advisor, isn't he? I'm not sure if he's been a spad, but he's been ahead of the um, to write trade deals and stuff because we we don't have any expertise anymore because you know we were part of the European Union for. Years. Well, yeah. Gove doesn't like experts, does he? So. No, so... The government's trying to assemble a, a trade board to uh, yeah. try and get us some, some juicy deals after Brexit, you see. Yeah, and, and he's uh, a foreigner. Yeah, yeah. And it was Matt Hancock who was uh, put into bat. Yes. Uh, on Sky, oh, Matt. On Sky <laughs> News with Kay Burley. Yes. And uh, this is how it went about and I'm sure you will want to comment on is Tony Abbott. I can see that you're wearing your NHS Pride badge. Uh, I wear mine with pride is what you've tweeted previously. Tony Abbott, who was the former Prime Minister of Australia, some suggesting that he may well be potentially a US, uh, UK trade ambassador. He says he feels threatened by homosexuality. He also says elderly people should have been left to die naturally from COVID and men are better set to exercise authority than women. Is he the right sort of person to represent us? 
Well, uh, as far as I understand it, the proposal is that um, uh, Mr. Abbott supports the UK on trade policy, which is an area in which he's got a huge amount of expertise. You know, I, I bow to nobody in my uh, support for everybody to, uh, to to love who they love, uh, whoever that is, and and um, uh, 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 and, and uh, well, as, as as you know, and as we've talked about uh, a lot. But I think you know we want we need to have the best experts in the world in their working in their field. Um, and as the former Prime Minister of Australia, obviously Mr Abbott's got a huge amount of experience. Even if he's a homophobic misogynist? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I think that that is... Uh, I, I don't think that's uh, true. Uh, I, don't, I haven't I've seen I've just any. told you what he said. I'm sure you don't support some of his comments. He's a homophobe and he's a misogynist. <laughs> well, uh, he's also an expert in uh, trade. <laughs> So one plays off against the other? Really? Is that really what you're saying, Health Secretary? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, what I'm saying is that we need experts in uh, different areas. Uh, and um, somebody who's the former Prime Minister of Australia uh, is uh, obviously an enormous expert in the, uh, in the field of, of trade. It doesn't change my views. OK, so we can forgive his comments about women and about letting the elderly die of COVID-19 and about uh, his views on um, uh, the gay community, even though he, I believe his sister is gay. We can forgive all of that because he's good at trade. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I'm doing everything in my power uh, to prevent a second wave and protect people from coronavirus. Health Secretary, but, uh, it's not my question. We've, we've spent eight minutes talking about that. I'm asking you about whether this is a fit and proper person to represent us as far as trade is concerned, given the views that he holds. Well, look, I think, Kay, the best um, thing to say is that I am totally focused on the coronavirus crisis and the future of the NHS and of social care. That is my area, right? I do know that Mr Abbott is very good and very experienced in trade. It is clearly um, a, a very important uh, decision uh, that the Prime Minister and the Trade Secretary are across uh, because we do... Blah, blah, blah. The Minister of Misogyny. Um, do you think he saw his life flash before his eyes during that interview? Oh, she had a, quite a scowl on her face. She did, didn't she? She was mad. Very mad, yeah. Mm. Um, he should have owned it and just said, yeah, yeah, yeah that's... and this is the end of the cancel culture. So yes. that would have started the end of it. A it bit got, of ballsy yeah. standing up against the media. It got me wondering what if I could get on the board. <laughs> oh. hmm? Sorry, Gwen. Sorry, Ben. I was just saying he, he didn't because he's, uh, he's wet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is, um, let's be fair, he's the ex-Prime Minister of one of our closest allies. Yeah. Elected. And, and he did he did complete three trade agreements that were languishing on the desks of public servants for over a decade with China, Japan and South Korea. So it just so he, happened a lot, uh, upon a middle of a folder. Yeah. Walking through some offices. Guys, there's nobody been doing anything with this for years. <laughs> no, evidently not. Uh, people came out to defend him. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, I've got a clip here from uh, Sky News. Sky News Australia rather than Sky mm. News UK. And it's the former Speaker of the House, Bronwyn Bishop, who came to his defence. <laughs> What's your response, first of all, 
uh, to this criticism of Tony Abbott? I think it's disgusting. Um, the man is neither of the things that is being uh, uh, described. Um, and indeed, most of this seems to stem back to Julia Gillard's uh, so-called misogyny speech. And if I've got one regret, it is that I didn't call a point of order on her when she was making that speech because it was clearly out of order. But the point is that Tony Abbott has a fine track record with regard to uh, trade and he has a good record as a father of three girls um, who has uh, had chiefs of staff who've been female, who uh, I have known for over three decades and have never, ever seen him have any of those traits of uh, being misogyny, uh, of misogyny. So it is just a disgraceful uh, character assassination trying to destroy someone by uh, people who are clearly political opponents and unfortunately, when you have firm opinions and you have socialists who are criticising you, they will stoop that low. Well, Phil, what's the truth? Is he good at trade or isn't he good at trade? Well, we're going to find out because he has been appointed. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? Yeah, he wasn't. That wasn't. He wasn't going to get binned for that, was he? I don't think. No, no I don't think. No, I think, no, I think no. fucking our prime minister said probably worse. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. He'll <laughs> feel weak. He'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> feel right at home in British politics. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I yeah. So is. <laughs> a few people came. His, his sister put a post on Twitter defending him about when is she came his, out. Is that his gay sister then? She's gay. Yeah. Who's oh, also yeah. a woman? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, one of his. What actually one of his former chiefs of staff is a presenter on Sky News Australia, uh, right. and she did a piece defending him. Apparently, every one of his chiefs of staff have been female. But uh, it was just interesting. It was funny, really. The, it's just the way Kay goes in. Just what's mm. it? Your sister's first real boyfriend who had a car, Matt Hancock, <laughs> <laughs> and just. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tries to disembowel him live on TV. It's quite and entertaining. She did. It works. <laughs> yeah, works for me. She did. Yeah. So, yeah, good. 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 Have we anything to add? Um, no, that's it. I'm pretty much. I'm spent. I had a story about David Blaine, but I can't really be bothered. Okay. Did you hear about what he did? Uh, no. Have you ever read Roald Dahl's The Twits? Yeah, I, ha I have, I think. And uh, one of the first tricks that Mr. Twit plays on Mrs. Twit is he ties her feet to the ground and ties helium balloons to her. Right. And uh, she floats up into the air Okay. on helium balloons. And that's what mm. David Blaine did. Is that how he did his thing? Oh, great. I might as well. I'll play it. <laughs> is that how he did We've seen it in the movies. Today, a magician proved it was possible. David Blaine floating over the Arizona desert, fuelled oh. by 50 balloons. Oh. Hanging on to helium. It just feels like I'm floating in the air. Magician David Blaine, flying 30 minutes attached to 50 balloons, high in the Arizona sky. A stunt inspired by Disney and Danny Deck Chair, 
This flight was crafted and choreographed for YouTube. What I want to do is I want to grab that rig of balloons <laughs> and I want to go floating all the way up nah. into the sky. The final balloon added by his daughter. Perfect. I'm letting go. You're going to let go. Let it fly. Sunglasses staying on as his feet came off the ground. That's going to take me up. Just be ready to go. Will you spin me? Progressively dropping weights to climb higher, attaching a parachute and oxygen mask. And it's on you. We're all quiet here before dropping himself. Woo! Parachuting the seven kilometres back to Earth. Is it there? Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Charles Croucher, Nine News. Two things there, Phil. One, Baumgartner did it better. <laughs> yeah. And two, helium is a precious resource needed for things like MRI scanners and that. It's, it? And it's a finite resource. And we're running out of it. Really? So, how, yeah, how, where'd you get helium from? It's no, from it? the from rocks and shit. It's not a, a you cannot manu- thing. You cannot no, manufacture no, no, no. it? No, it's an element. It's made in the centre of stars. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, don't waste it. There was none in oh. Asda the other day when I was trying to buy a, a helium balloon. From I've Asda bought loads day. of tanks of helium from I had to buy Morrison's. a tank. They, did, they didn't have one where they just fill your balloon. I had to purchase a party tank. So, hang on a minute. Here comes the science bit. Helium comes from rocks? Yeah. It comes from, well, it comes, feels right. It comes from the heart of stars. Yeah, that's where all elements are made, isn't it? But... Mm. Is it? <laughs> isn't just uh, helium in rocks? <laughs> Not all rocks, no. It, but is there is there like you know you have like <sighs> ore and shit? There's it's like a, helium ore. Need to ask no, Doctor Bill. Yeah, it's yeah. not like fracking in it. <laughs> so it's actually deposits of helium. Yeah, in the earth's crust. Yes. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? We can fact check it. But I'm fairly <laughs> sure that's, that's how you get helium. And it's certainly not something you can make. Okay. Oh. It doesn't... Nothing um, degrades into helium or... Well, it's, and it's not a compound, it's an element. Mm. Here's more so, from Big Pound. Back to hydrogen. <laughs> right, okay. Excellent. Well, I think we should uh, call that a, a win. Good podcast. You're really quiet. Yeah, you're really oh. quiet, Phil. You're like under, under a small glass. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> uh, next week. <laughs> okay, fine, fine then. You're not hearing me. No, not really. it's really quiet. All right, well. Ne- <laughs> <laughs> no effects. <laughs> Just no keep effect. saying it. Well, okay. <laughs> next week, we've got the legend that is... <laughs> Eric Klein coming on. Eric, oh, wait. Wherever you are, you heard it. <laughs> Clearly. The Eric author of 1177 BC. <laughs> I can't wait. Like a judgment day and terminating mode, like. Alright, well, fuck off. I got hairy legs. I'm literally a communist. Anything to add? No, goodbye. Turn your mic up. Here's more from Dick Pound. Alright, see you. See you next week. Hi. Jesus Christ.
I drink and I know things. Can't have children with the horse. Because I'm literally a communist. Come on, great. Can't. 